Well, hello, everybody. I am so happy to be here with all of you and especially to be back with our Mr. Rick Levine. Yay. Yeah. And I'm happy to be back with our Ms. Amanda Pua Walsh. And we get to look at July today. So we're going to be just peering into the future to get a sense for the cosmic tides that we'll be navigating in this uh, summertime. I mean, we're, we're, well, summer for us, but winter for. That's our- right. Winter just logged on from Australia. And so it's the winter solstice uh, for, for Jennifer. We're recording this just a day after the solstice on any part of the planet. Yes. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, we're going to dive into the July forecast here very soon. Before we do that, I just wanted to make sure that you knew about our Instant Insights Week, which we are hosting this week on the Astrologer Connect platform. So if you have any burning questions that you would love astrologers like Gemini Brett, Clarissa Dolphin, or Taylor Schuler to answer, you can go to astrologyhub.com slash connect and ask your question. Have them look at your chart, get a quick question answered. Let's see. Clarissa Dolphin is an incredible harmonic astrologer. So if you're interested in harmonic astrology and getting a read on your chart from a harmonic perspective, she's amazing. Absolutely incredible. Taylor Schuler is awesome for career questions, kind of life path questions. What is your unique ability type questions? And Gemini Brett's just kind of amazing at everything. Specifically, he is great at any relocation questions, travel questions, where should I move questions, but also sole purpose, direction. I mean, he literally can do it all. And if you have any questions on music, he's also good at those. Very good at music as well. So they are available right now on the platform. You get your first five minutes free. So if you like have your question teed up, you can get a lot, you can cover a lot of ground in five minutes. So and I heard a rumor about this program. I heard that Rick Levine may pop on like suddenly somewhere. <laughs> that's, what I just, that's what I heard. I heard it too. There's a rumor floating around that he might show up on Saturday at some point. And, and this, is, this is a man who has a, at least a three-year waiting list for a reading. And he might show up on the platform on Saturday. So definitely be checking it out and... Um, if Rick's making a cameo on there, that's definitely the time to jump on and get your question answered. Yeah. All right, everybody. So let's dive into July. If you have specific questions about July, put it in the chat. But let's start with that overarching theme, Rick. I know you've been sort of exploring options. I have. J- July is, you know, we say at the beginning of every month, well, wow, the month ahead is really interesting. <laughs> like, they're all the same. They're all interesting yeah um july has a few in a few interesting components in it and i think the singular most important components in july involve the nodes and pluto and pluto and the nodes that's all one component and venus and i think the two of those things that astrologers all around are are talking about kind of give us the fabric of the month. You know, when I look at a month, I always compare uh, the chart at the very beginning of the month to the chart at the end of the month. And so, and, and, and it kind of lets me see 
what what's changed what's what's gone on for the month and and i notice that for the month of july we do have a couple of planets that are um that are turning retrograde um and that always adds a fabric to to the month in july we have uh venus which is why we'll be focused on venus so significantly um turning retrograde on july 22nd and we'll have more to say about venus in a moment and we have chiron turning retrograde on july 23rd now what that means is when a planet turns retrograde as we know and as i've said every time a planet turns retrograde it means it has to stop from earth's point of view it's not really stopping in its tracks but it looks that way and so on july 1st we have venus at 21 degrees of leo and venus normally moves through a sign in you know in in about a month i mean just uh, actually it varies but you know roughly just a little bit less than a month and yet venus at 21 degrees of aries on july 1st because she turns retrograde on on July 22nd by the end of the month Venus is only at 27 degrees of Leo meaning that Venus which normally can move up to nearly a, a degree a day not quite that fast um she only moves o- only 6 degrees in the entire month now because we Pluto normally moves slowly and Pluto is now retrograde Pluto moves about a half a degree all month. And as we work our way inward, um, we have Neptune, which just turned retrograde and on the, at the end of June. And so we have Neptune moving less than a half a degree all month. And Uranus is the fastest moving of those outer planets and uranus only moves a degree all month um although it's still moving direct it's slowing down for its retrograde and saturn which of course turned retrograde last month is at it's it's at seven degrees of pisces on on the first of july and it only backs up oh just slightly more than one degree all month the reason why this is significant is the outer planets saturn uranus neptune pluto Oh, and Chiron, which is at 19 degrees of Aries, um, uh, almost 20 degrees of Aries on July 1st, is at 19 degrees of Aries, almost 20 degrees of Aries on July 31st. Now, you know, there's it, this is like being in the doldrums. You know, the word doldrums, you know, people use the term, oh, I'm down in the doldrums. It comes from when the old trading ships had to go, let's say, from from England to India under wind power, they had to cross the equator twice. And in order to cross the equator, they had to go through this area in the northern and southern hemisphere. Um, the trade winds just naturally blow. But when you get close to the equator, there's this area where the winds can stop. And, and these were called the doldrums. And the these ships under wind power could just float around endlessly for days weeks at a time and there was just nowhere to go and nothing to do and it was could be terrible if you were down in the doldrums and so this is kind of this summer in some ways is that's the overall theme because all the outer planets are barely moving 
And Venus on top of that, which normally has umph, is moving slowly because it is slowing down all through July to turn retrograde. And it doesn't go very fast by the end of the month being retrograde either. The only planets that are moving regularly are the sun and the moon because they never go retrograde. Mercury is moving very fast because Mercury has come out of its retrograde. And in fact, we begin the month with Mercury having just aligned with the sun. And so this is Mercury at its fastest. And we also have Mars kind of pretty much cruising along. And Mars does change signs um, this month. And that's significant. Mars has been in Leo and Mars moves into Virgo on July 10th. Now, Mercury, which is moving unbelievably fast, Mercury, we begin the month with Mercury and Cancer along with the sun. And so communication is relatively contained. Um, it's dealing with older issues, emotional things. Um, there's that sense of even politics is driven by kind of a passive aggressive kind of energy um, where people are defending their position rather than moving outward. Even though Venus and Mars are both in Leo and we're getting some of that outward energy. And in fact, we're getting some of that outward energy still in a square to Uranus. And so there's been some crazy stuff, um, you know, over the last few days and, you know, through the end of June, as both Venus and Mars are either squaring or just squared uh, Uranus, which is a bit of an electrical, you know, kind of uh, um, shocking energy. But, but with Mercury in Cancer, there's still that sense of holding back words. And on July 10th, Mercury moves from Cancer to Leo, but Mercury is moving so fast that only two weeks later, a um, little bit more than that, on July 28th, Mercury moves out of Leo and into Virgo. So Mercury's really cruising, which means that our minds are moving fast. Our thoughts are moving fast. We have lots of ideas. And in, in what, for most of the month, from July 10th through the 28th, we're willing to talk about them and share them. And we may see some real fiery feistiness of overdramatic presentations, especially on the political front. But then when Mercury on the 28th moves into Virgo, we enter a period of time where Mercury and Mars are both in Virgo. And therefore, I think our energies and our communication will be a bit more restrained. So that's the overall big picture of the planets and them changing signs. But again, I want to come back in a moment to both Venus because of its retrograde period and what that means and, and, and why that's so significant. And again, I want to come back to Pluto, which is retrograded back to the, 20, to the 30th degree, 29 de, um, and a half degrees of Capricorn. And because we have the nodes which move consistently retrograde, um, the, the nodes are moving from a um, fixed axis, the north node being in Taurus, the south node being in Scorpio, and they will move this month from the Taurus-Scorpio axis to the Aries-Libra axis. And that happens on July 17th if you're tracking the true node. And the thing is, is that with the nodes, because they wobble so greatly, Many astrologers use the mean node, which is like an average kind of a, of a, of a position, 
But because we have a higher level of accuracy, accuracy, many modern astrologers are using the true node, which covers that wobble very, very closely. Um, and it, because the, the moon's nodes, that wobble happens over the course of a few days, uh, retrograde direct, retrograde direct. And so um, we'll look a little bit more at that and why that's important also. Okay. So you started this conversation about July very focused on the speed of the planets. So you mentioned that there's a lot of planets that are going uncharacteristically slow. Mars is kind of in its normal pace and Mercury is moving really, really fast. And then you, you talked about being in the doldrums as, as kind of the experience of these slow planets. Can you give us a little bit more about how we're going to experience all those planets moving so slow? Yeah, well, when, when we're down in the doldrums, uh, the ego that has direction doesn't like that much because the ego wants to get to India or home to England or Spain or Portugal or wherever you're going. And, and all of a sudden, it's like you lose power. And, mm -hmm. and yet, um, that's also a great time for just regrouping, for resting, for, for recapturing the sense of the present moment as long as it doesn't last very long. Because when that present moment lasts and lasts, we begin to get restless and maybe even frustrated. Now, we, you know, I don't want to lean on the word frustration here all that much, because often when it's the true sense of the doldrums, we don't even have the energy to get frustrated. We'll just chill. We'll eat another sandwich, change the channel on the TV, go to the beach, you know. And so, and, and so when we're looking for a title here, I, I, I said summertime blues, but it's really like in the good old summertime, there's there's something here that has been kind of like we, we, we've kind of begun to get some traction, but we're just not going very fast. But the difference is that going back two or three years ago, and I see that Michelle said we've been in the doldrums for three years. No, we haven't. We've there's a difference between being in the doldrums and being tied up and or locked up that's not in the doldrums there you're being restrained and you don't like it necessarily or you have absolute strong reaction and emotions when we're in the doldrums we just don't have the energy or the power or whatever now mm -hmm. granted mercury and venus are still in leo and so there's this kind of false front that we have of things i say false it's 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 a it's a a shallow it's not a very deep front of we're spinning wheels and we are maybe moving and there are things happening, but on a deeper level, they're not happening as fast. And, um, and, I, and I think that that's really the, the, the bottom line. And what we need to do in response is we need to use this time wisely because when things are going crazy and when we're doing this and that and trying to keep we're wishing that we could have a day off or two. So I'm not saying we have the entire month of July off. We don't. But I think that this is a really powerful and profound time to review. Uh, remember, retrograde words are uh, begin with the RE. You know, we often use them with Mercury, but they're with any retrograde because the planet is covering, is recovering old territory. So we get to review, reconsider, reanalyze, recognize or recognize, 
You can't recognize something if you've never seen it before. It has to be back to the past. And so with with Venus turning retrograde, I think a lot of our values, and we moderners just throw the love word or the money word at Venus and say, that's what Venus is. Well, arguably, those are Venusian things. And, and Venus certainly has to do with our with our senses, both our physical senses and our sense of ethics and morals. And they're not physical senses, they're more metaphysical mental senses. But but Venus is also what we value. And 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 of course in our culture, um, we're in some ways taught, whether we're taught actually or just by example, we're taught to value material possessions and money. And those may not be our important, most important values. And when Venus slows down, especially in Leo, we're given an opportunity to review and to reconsider what we value. And as we do that, we actually get to go over past territory. They say that when Venus is retrograde, we may have a relationship from the past pop up back up, or we may in fact have see patterns of Venus's retrograde eight or 16 years ago, because that Venus retrograde happens in the same, roughly in the same place in the sky every eight years. And so we can see these patterns in our lives if we look at it, but it's mostly important that this is a time that we can easily waste if we just hang out and stare at the TV or the sun or whatever, when we have an opportunity right now to really review what's important to us. Hmm. So we won't have a ton of energy to like create new things and be super external. But if we capitalize on that intelligently, the internal, the more internal processes are actually going to be even more fruitful. I, I think so, but I'm going to contradict myself now here just for a moment because, you know, as, as, as Walt Whitman, the Walt Whitman, uh, the Gemini said, I contain multitudes. I contradict mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. And we just need to keep in mind that both Venus and um, Mars are in expressive, uh, outgoing Leo. And, and, and so there is some of that energy. But again, I, I think we can use that energy to touch those deeper things that are not moving very much. But it may feel like, it, I think I said this earlier, it may feel like like it's all show and there's no substance behind it. There is substance behind it. It's just going to take time until those planets finish up their retrograde phases and move forward again. It doesn't mean there won't be anything to do or to create. And in fact, we may see some amazing, cool creations during this period of time because of that Venus and Mars kind of moving together, even though it's interesting because normally Venus moves faster than Mars. And so if there's a Venus-Mars conjunction that, or if they're near each other, Venus catches up to Mars, they can join. That's always a magical creative moment because Venus and Mars, the cosmic lovers, is the pro-creative force. In other words, it is about creativity. And, and yet what we're having this month at the beginning of the month, Venus is trailing Mars by about three degrees Venus is at 21 degrees Leo and Mars is at 24 degrees Leo. But Venus is, even though she doesn't turn retrograde until the 22nd of the month, 
She's slowing down day by day by day. And she never catches up to Mars. So when we do this a day at a time, you know, by July 10th, Venus has only reached 25 degrees of Leo and Mars is at 29 Leo. And then by the, what did I say earlier, the 11th, the 12th, the somewhere in there, Mars reaches Virgo on July 10th. And so when Mars hits Virgo on July 10th, all of a sudden it becomes apparent that Mars is running away from Venus because Venus has to go through its entire retrograde and Venus doesn't leave Leo until October 8th. And by then, Mars is way the hell out of the picture. So it's an intriguing dance because I think Venus is holding the power. It's almost like she decides she doesn't give a crap as to whether she catches up with him. And I'm very aware of the gender nuances here. And many astrologers don't like to, you know, put gender specific pronouns to Venus and Mars. And yet I think it conveys something very important because Venus is a yin and or feminine energy. And this is not referring to sex now. It's referring to gender expression. And, and so Venus, almost it's almost like she loses interest in Mars and says, you know what? Go do your thing. Go be a Virgo, Libra, Scorpio as Mars moves on its way. I'm going to stay here in Leo and I'm going to luxuriate in the apparent beauty of it all without necessarily going into what's beneath the surface. So that's that's kind of my little Venus wrap. And yeah, and that, that's enough for now. We'll come back to Venus with some dates in, in a moment or two. Okay, yeah. It's it's kind of reminding me of what you were saying around the new year. And, and maybe I'm just totally jumping, but... No, but the new year had Mars retrograde and Mercury retrograde. Yeah, it was was the same thing, but but very different because the outer planets then were all moving forward. Ah, but now the outer planets are all either slowing down to retrograde or recently we've had, you know, um, you know, a combination of um, Saturn, Pluto, um, Neptune and now Chiron um, and Venus turning retrograde. So it's it's similar, but energetically different. Yeah. You were you were emphasizing that we may feel like our social engagements needed to have some depth, that it was like it wasn't the time where we would go out and just do the everybody get drunk and do the New Year's thing. It was that we would have more of like an intimate party where we're actually talking about real things with people that we love. And it was just there was a little bit more of a a depth and meaning that you were emphasizing. And I'm I'm just reminded of that. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it feels similar. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I I think it is in some way there, but I think the Venus retrograde really has a tonation of, of its own that's very different than the Mars retrograde, mm-hmm. which becomes kind of an internalized anger. We heat up, you know. There, there, and with Venus retrograde, um, I think. I think Venus retrogrades more naturally because it is a yin energy, um, mm. because it it feels comfortable when it's not out fighting or conquering or conflicting or pushing into new territory. And, you know, remember, Venus hums in the sky in a very magical way to Earth, maybe more magical than any other thing up there, because the ratio 
of the orbit of Venus, which is 224 and a half days, to the ratio of Venus to the ratio of Venus to Earth, which is 365 and slightly less than a quarter, 265.24 days, that that ratio is 1.62, which is the golden mean or the divine proportion. For those of you who have taken either my fundamentals or the you know harmonic um, aspects course, you understand the relationship between Venus and the quintile because the five conjunctions that Venus makes with the Earth from the sun's point of view, those five conjunctions occur every eight years, five and eight being Fibonacci numbers, which are the golden mean proportion, and they occur about 72 degrees apart from one another, which creates what many modern astrologers refer to as the Venus star, which are the quintile aspects, the Venus retrograde, Venus lining up with the sun, 72 degrees apart, five times every eight years. Now, the golden mean or the divine proportion is that ratio that our guy, Johannes Kepler, said it's the ratio that God uses to create like from like. He called it one of the one of the precious gems of geometry because it has to do with beauty, aesthetic perfection. It has to do with 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 pleasing harmonic resonance, which we call love. <laughs> That's what love is. Love is that golden mean proportion that is that is perceived as being a part of a flow that is magical and we can lose our ego into it. So Venus is a really, really magical, magical um, planet. And when it slows down and it normally spends, you know, about a month in a sign and all of a sudden it's spending several months. And let's look at the actual dates here because Venus entered Leo on June 5th. And it leaves Leo, like I said earlier, on October 8th. That means for all practical purposes, Venus is, is in Leo all of June, all of July, most of June, all of July, all of August, all of September. It's basically for four months. It's a third of the year. And so anyone who has fire sign planets in their chart, sun, moon, ascendant, any planets, those are going to either be conjoined or trined by Venus and, and during this period of time, and especially those with planets between 12 and 28 degrees of fire signs. Why? Because Venus will turn retrograde at 28 and a half degrees of Leo, and then it retrogrades all the way back to 12 degrees of Leo. So if you have planets in that area, Venus is going to go all the way across from, from 12 degrees to 28 and then back to 12, and then all the way forward then through 28, and then it'll keep going. And as many um, you know, viewers know, that when a retrograde planet goes over the same area of sky three or five times, even in the case of Neptune or Pluto, that we call this the shadow. And so I, th I think I once heard Brett refer to this as retroshade, and I like that word. I think that's Brett's word. I'm not sure. But but what that means is that that when Venus moved originally through that 12 degree point of Leo, which was back on June 19th, and until 
it then goes retrograde back to that point and then direct and then goes through that 28 degree point in October, it will be in its shadow, meaning that that things related to Venus won't feel complete. There's that, you know, that, you know, that concept that three strikes and you're out, which I know is a baseball term, but but it's things seem to happen in threes. And the reason is that because that retrograde phenomenon makes one, two, three. And so during this summer, we're going to be getting that Venus hanging out, not just in July, but really in mid-late June, July, August, even into September after it turns direct, because it turns direct on September 3rd at 12 degrees of Leo. But then all through the rest of September and on through the beginning of October, it's covering that same ground again for the third and final time, but we might feel that there's progress then. So this Venus retrograde is incredibly important. And again, if you have planets and fire signs, you're going to get the trines. Lucky you, yummy. You know, at least it could be. But of course, we have to remember that too much of a good thing is not necessarily a good thing. It can be overindulgence. It can be distracted by pleasure. It can be hedonism, which I'm not saying is a bad thing when it's appropriate, but it can be overdoing that. But then if you have planets in that 12 to 28 degree range of any fixed signs, because Leo is a fixed sign, um, other than Leo, in other words, if you have planets in Taurus or Scorpio or Aquarius, then this Venus is going to be squaring or opposing those planets. And in fact, of course, we could you know, take that down to the sextiles and or even the quincunxes and, and so on. But the point is, knowing where that mid-Leo is in your natal chart will give you an idea of how that Venus in Leo hanging out. Uh, Grant Louis once said that there's really no difference between the, asp- between the transits that different ma- planets make, except for how long they stay. So then if you have someone who comes over to your house once a month for a, you know, dinner and a game of chess and a glass of wine and they go home, and then one month they come and they come over for dinner, a glass of wine, a game of chess, and they stay for a year and then they go home. It's the exact same motion, <laughs> but it changes our life in very different ways. Now, I always think if you're having breakfast with your spouse or parent or kid or friend, you know, and you look over your iPad that you're reading your email on and you look up at them and you go, oh, my God, what did I do? You know, it's like, oh, this person is such a drag. And then an hour later, you feel great. You know, you're just in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens. And a bad mood is a bad moon. And moods, like the moon, always change. So being in a bad mood for an hour or two or three is not a big deal. But if you feel that same way at dinner and then at breakfast again and then at dinner again, then, you f- then you're not in a bad moon. You're in a bad Mars or <laughs> yet. A bad Saturn, or you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. This what this Venus is all about? This Venus, which normally whizzes through a, a sign, you know, Venus does not go retrograde often, and when it does, it goes retrograde for about 40 days. Think of the Bible: 40 days and 40 nights of wandering in the desert. There's something about that 40 day period that is very magical in you know in a lot of things, um, but. That, that Venus retrograde is going to be, I think, one of the defining factors of the month. And again, we still have to talk about the nodes and Pluto. Yes. 
Okay, one more question about Venus. Got it. Are there a lot of breakups during Venus retrograde? There, there may be. I, you know, I don't, I, I try to stay, I mean, you, we've done stuff. Like, it's, it's, I have a hard time making gen, generalized sweeping statements like that because it sets people up to think that, that that's what should happen or could happen. And right. sure, there could be, but there could be just as many revisitations. In other words, if in fact, and this is just totally hypothetical, I'm not saying that this will happen to you or to me or to any one particular you know, pe- person listening or watching, but let's just say that you have um, your natal moon at, I don't know, 20 degrees of Sagittarius, and this Venus is now going to be trining that. That doesn't indicate to me a break up as much as it does a connection. But let's say at the same time, you're having Saturn in Pisces squaring that moon. So yes, you may break up. But when that Venus turns retrograde over that exact same point, you may find out that maybe it wasn't a real breakup. And maybe when it goes direct the third and final time, you're back together again. Now, I'm not saying that scenario will happen, but that's a more likely scenario than a clean breakup because Venus in itself is more about the attractive, connective pleasure principle, although it exists in both forms. And as I've mentioned here before, uh, whether it's been in in this um, cosmic connection or in one of the classes, you know, when we talk about Venus, we often talk about sweet love, romance, pleasure, sexuality, yumminess, you know, aesthetic perfection, beauty, art. I mean, these are all Venusian things. And our friend, I use the word friend kind of as a, you know, cosmic, you know, brother, so to speak, Thomas More, whose first book, maybe a second, but first book, I think, was a book called Dark Eros. And in it, he talks about how when we, when we experience love, in order for it to be real love, it can't just be the surface romance that's only half of real love. It has to include what, what he calls dark eros, which Jung might call shadow work, but it's that, it's that less pretty part of love that comes out in some characters that actually Thomas More used in his book as examples, like the Marquis de Sade, from whom we get the word sadism or sadism. And so, so even though it's not necessarily the kind of love that many of us, or maybe even most of us would want to either experience on either end of that, the fact of the matter is that that comes along with Venus. And sometimes we tend to push that side away because it's not as pleasant for most people. The thing is, is that if there is a breakup, if there is something that happens on that level, often with retrogrades and especially with the faster retrogrades of Mercury, Venus, and Mars, often we get this one, two, three punch. Well, it's not a punch, but a one, two, three effect where it happens. And then, well, we we see it from the other side. Maybe that's not really what happened. Oh, and now this is what's happening. So we have to be careful about assuming when a planet is moving through its shadow area, we have to be careful about assuming that what happens is the final event and is what is happening 
because often it's only one perspective of a more complex series of events. And it also can tie back to something in the past. Mm, okay. All right. So I know you want to talk about Pluto and the nodes as part as a big part of July as well. Yeah. And I don't want to spend too much time on the nodes or the dates because many people use the mean node. Many people use the true node. If you're using the exact true node, then the, the and of course, the, the, the nodal axis travels as a pair of opposites because it's really a line. And it's where the moon's orbit around the Earth intersects the Earth's orbit around the sun. And that creates, if you think of two Frisbees kind of intersecting each other, they intersect in a line. And so the nodal axis, which has been in Taurus and Scorpio, moves backwards. It retrogrades, because that's how the nodes move, into Aries Libra on July 17. And again, if you're using the mean rather than the true node, that may be off a few days. Um, I, I don't have that date calculated in front of me. Um, but the difference between the mean and true node can vary by a degree or two, or I think even maybe three degrees, but not more than that. So it's close. Regardless, in July, the nodal axis is shifting. And, and I find it a little tricky. I think a lot of astrologers put more weight on the sign that the nodal axis is moving into in the date than I personally would. I don't necessarily always see the results as significant as, as, as other planets. But, but theoretically, the difference will be that while the nodes were in Taurus and Scorpio, the, the results were more tangible and more about tangible, meaning the Taurus side, the material, the, the physical, the monetary, and the other side, the Scorpio, the complexity of those relationships that create the, the monetary, the material, and, and, and the physical. But as the nodal axis moves into Aries Libra, the emphasis is more on the relationship between self and other. It's more about the relationship between the impulse to be an Aries, to survive, to have ego, to, to, to have a sense of self. And that sense of self can be me, Rick Levine, but that sense of self can also be me, human. It can be, you know, it, it can be an all-inclusive sense of self, but there's still a sense of doing something that, that is tied to, to one perspective. Whereas Libra, the other side of it, can simply be another person in your life, but it also can be an opposite idea. It can be, it's the reflective other side of any coin of any issue. And so as the nodes move through the Aries Libra, um, we're being driven toward the North Node, the Aries of the having the integrity to be true to oneself. And yet the flip side of that is, but we can't ever be allowed to forget that there's always two sides to every issue. There's always another side to a coin. A coin can't have one side. And so we have to keep both of those in, in perspective. Now, normally, I don't even know that I would talk about the change of the nodal axis by sign in a particular month. It happens about every 18 months, um, except for the fact that 
as a, any planet is changing signs right now, including the nodal axis, they're moving from either 29 degrees of one sign to zero of the next, or in the case of the nodes, they're moving from 29, they're, they're moving from zero degrees of one sign to 29 degrees of the previous sign. And Pluto is at 29 degrees of Capricorn. And what this means is that Pluto in Capricorn, like any planet that's moving from Cancer to Leo, because Cancer and 29 degrees of Cancer is opposite 29 degrees of Capricorn, which is where Pluto is. And so we've had, um, so, we, so we have this month, Mercury and the Sun moving from Cancer to Leo, and they will both oppose Pluto. And when any planet opposes Pluto, that typically is an intense and deep power struggle for whose reality is going to dominate the other. Now, while Mercury moves from, um, from Cancer to, to Leo, and that's on July 10th, and when the sun moves from Cancer to Leo, and that's on July 22nd, they are both not only opposing Pluto, but they are like Pluto, 90 degrees to the nodal axis, because the nodal axis is moving from zero degrees of Taurus Scorpio to 29 degrees of Aries Libra, and that 29 degrees of Cancer Capricorn is going to be exactly 90 degrees or square to it. And this is th this is enough to 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 ruin a perfect Venus retrograde month. I say ruin. It's it, it's another it's a, it's a totally different perspective. And and the crazy thing about it is, see, I, I don't always pay attention to planets that are making aspects to the nodes, although I take them into consideration. I mean, we have planets moving from um, uh, Leo to Virgo. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, from Leo to Virgo that are making um, sextiles and trines with the nodal axis. However, um, the, even the ancients recognized that when a planet was 90 degrees to the lunar nodes, that they had a special term for this, and it was called the bending. The bendings of the nodes are the places where you are exactly off-center you're, 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 you're as far away from the nodes as you can get. And we have Pluto actually reaching that exact point. And this is going to be sound a little crazy, and I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But Pluto squares the nodes exactly on July 22nd. And then it squares them again exactly on July 25th. And then it squares them again exactly on July 28th. And during that entire time, Pluto is retrograde. And in fact, the nodes, which are retrograde, don't even turn direct. How is that possible? Well, it took a little bit of digging because it confused me. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out exactly why that was the case. And it turns out that the retrograde nodes slow down enough, and these are true nodes, not the average mean node that the, no, the retrograde nodes slow down enough that they become stationary as if they were going to turn direct, but they don't. And so what happens is that the retrograde nodes are moving faster than the retrograde Pluto, 
and it makes that square. And then the retrograde nodes slow down enough and come still. That retrograde Pluto is now moving faster and it, and, and it goes over that same point again. And then the nodes begin to pick up speed and cross it a third time. It's, I don't know that I've ever seen this. And, um, and um, this is probably a good Gemini Brett question as to the mechanics of this. And if you've seen this before, but I find it intriguing that, that normally a planet going over the bendings or the squares to the node will last a day or two or three, you know, uh, but exact only one day. And yet Pluto is pretty much square to the nodes or at that bending point for the entire month of, of July. In fact, on um, July 1st, Pluto is at 29 and a half degrees of Capricorn. And on July 31st, Pluto is just under 29 degrees of Capricorn. It's at 28 degrees, 54 minutes. And at the end of the month, the nodes are at 28 and a half degrees, you know, of, of uh, Aries Libra square it. So it's almost like we don't get away from this. And what does that mean? Well, when a planet is square the nodes in evolutionary astrology, um, they call that a skip step. In other words, it's almost like we didn't pay attention or didn't express that planetary energy in the past. So now we're giving the chance to, to work it out. Um, if you have a planet in your natal chart that is at the bending is square the nodes, it's almost like that planet can be highlighted in this lifetime as, as a uh, chance to, to, to express that energy that previously either earlier in this lifetime or genetically or familially, or whether it's a personal past life, it's, it's a chance to kind of make it right, to bring it out into the open. Now, from a separate uh, perspective, a planet squared to the nodes is a planet that's in high focus and it has an opportunity in the present moment because squares are dynamic. It has an opportunity to pop something into reality. Well, what is it that's popping into reality? It's Pluto, and it's Pluto at the point of its Pluto return, you know, in the United States chart. And look at what's going on in this country. There's a certainly from any perspective, there's a bit of a meltdown. And I think that in part, this Pluto square to the nodes will play into and exacerbate this energy this summer and particularly through July. But the other thing that happens is that on July 11th, when Mercury changes signs, well, the day after, it will square the nodes. And in fact, on July 21st, the day before Mercury's exact, I mean, to the minute, to the second, the day before that, uh, the sun, as um, it will actually on July 21st, square the nodes. And so we have this sense of this heightened energy that's not necessarily reflected in external reality as much as it's reflected in what's going on that's driving the 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 movement driving the um the movement the what's the i'm looking for another word what what's what's motivating us that we're moving through this phase and so it's it's a it's a potent thing yeah it it, it it's certainly an, an opportunity yeah and and so the the thing is and someone said maybe i typed the wrong or said the wrong word the three Pluto squares, the exact, are July 22nd, 25th, and 28th. But it's pretty much within like, with, with, within a hair's width away. 
for the entire month. And so Pluto is in high focus this month, as is Venus. Mm. So you are emphasizing the Pluto, like you, you said that this could emphasize the Pluto returns to the U.S. So that's sort of a, a, a more collective thing, but only for the United States. I guess it will probably have ripple effects. Like, in yeah, only for the United States. But remember, this whole period of time is also Pluto changing signs from Capricorn to Aquarius. Right. And we might feel, oh, it's back in Capricorn, the pressure's off. No, it's back in Aquarius, the pressure's on to finish all the deconstruction and the nihilistic taking down of those things that were the absolute most fundamental external realities, whether it's government, banking systems, blah, 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 the Constitution of the United States. And this is impacting us worldwide. Remember, when Pluto moved from, Aqu from Capricorn to Aquarius, Back in the 18th century, it was not only the creation of the Constitution of the United States of America, but it was also little things like the French Revolution, both of which were total revamping of the idea that a single family could be divinely gifted with the ownership of a country and everyone else served homage to the royalty. That's what that was about. And that's as the changes that are going on now are as big as those then. But when you're in the midst of such big changes that are not just an event of an afternoon, which we can see, you know, you can see, you know, a submersible going down to the Titanic and its implosion and those kind of horrific, shocking events that, boom, something happens. We can see them as an event. That's why Uranian events are so easy to see. Plutonic events are not as easy to see. Can you see a glacier moving and taking down an entire mountain? No, because it goes so slowly that our perceptions don't see it. So when we're in the midst of these huge kinds of shifts, if we were alive during the French Revolution or even the American Revolution, or as the Brits call it, you know, the American War Against England, um, you know, it would have seemed like a big deal. All war is a big deal, but no one would have imagined it would have been as important for the trajectory of the planet as it was at as it was perceived at that time. Did that make sense? Do you understand yes. why this? And that's why 2020 beginning, well, 2010 through 2015, beginning with the Uranus-Pluto square, turning into the Saturn Pluto conjunction in January of 2020, turning into the Uranus, Saturn Uranus square of 2021, 22, and now into 2023, all of this stuff. That's why these changes are so important because they're, we're on this large trajectory of tidal change that mm -hmm. is larger than any of the single events that we perceive, whether we read the news or in our own lives or whatever. It's, it, it, it's, bigger than we can understand in this moment. Mm. That's why I like to say, think cosmically, act locally. Yes. Okay. So bringing it to that local, that, that piece, how will we individually experience this sort of skip step, the Pluto square, the nodes all month? Like it brings Pluto into focus. So does that just mean it brings Pluto into focus in our charts, wherever it is? Well, it, it yeah. Or it may in fact, um, uh, it, it may, in fact, bring Pluto into focus in our charts, but it may also impact the outer events, the circumstances in which we live. In other words, um, when we look at um, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction 
and the corresponding stuff of 2020, the Saturn Pluto, and then the Jupiter Pluto, and then the Saturn, the Jupiter Saturn great conjunction. That whole year, the external events were so overwhelming, you know, whether it didn't matter what your response was to it, what you thought was happening or how you individually reacted, that it impacted society that impacted all of us. Mm -hmm. Now, depending upon your individual chart, some people did fine through it and other people did not do very well at all. And some people were radicalized and other people were more convinced that the governments were taking care of them. I mean, in other words, there's an entire spectrum of how we react. And I think that this, that these larger transits are the same way. And for those people who had planets that were being directly impacted by those particular conjunctions, they may have had a more immediate and urgent positive or negative, depending on how they integrated it or depending on how it hit their chart. But it's hard to say how we will react individually. I'm looking for an ongoing trajectory of craziness out there that will impact us, some people more than others, some people less than others. Remember, Pluto is in Capricorn for the rest of the year and won't go back into Aquarius until next January. And it'll be in Aquarius for most of 2024, but it even tips back into Capricorn again. And so we're not done with that Capricorn stuff before we get to the stuff that everyone is excited about it with Pluto in Aquarius. And I'm not sure that if people understood what Pluto and Aquarius really meant, that they would be quite as excited as they are. I'm not saying that there are things to fear. I'm saying like beautiful, sexy, romantic, pleasure-seeking Venus, everything has two sides. Mm, yes. Okay. So basically you're saying we're in a big global tide that will affect us personally, no matter where this is happening in our chart. But it's well, sure, sure. Yeah. And it is. I mean, yeah. just the nature of the economic and environmental things and what I mean, those things do impact us. But again, it may impact some more than others. Right. And, and we should also take a, a, before we call it quits, we should take a quick look at the two lunations. Um, yeah. And I know that in, you know, the your the inner circle that you really drill down on these a whole lot more. Um, but we have two lunations. We have a full moon on July 3rd and a new moon on July 17th. And the full moon in Capricorn on July 3rd is significant. Actually, the days after that, the moon, when it moves from Capricorn into Aquarius, will join up with Pluto and square the nodes. And so there's a whole, you know, kind of wobbly period in itself around July, you know, 4th, 5th, 6th. But that particular full moon to me is intriguing because it is trine Jupiter. Um, and it is also, um, Mercury is lined up with the sun and the, the full moon itself in Capricorn is making a square and a half to, um, to Venus, which is really slowing down. I don't see this full moon as being an overwhelmingly positive or negative um, moon. I mean, I, I, I do see that, that we do have some disruptive stuff happening with Venus making its square, Venus making its square to Uranus, which is exact on, I'll tell you here real quickly, it's exact on July 2nd. 
And so coming into that full moon, there is some disruptive stuff going on. It can also be exciting. But I, I, I just this particular full moon seems to be medium benign. But there is that Venus that is that is squaring Uranus and the full moon is a square and a half to Venus. So it may be a, a bit you know problematic on a communication front, on a relationship front. Um, however, when we get to the new moon on the 17th, that is coming into its opposition with, with Pluto. Now, the new moon itself is at 25 degrees of Cancer. It's actually 24 degrees and 56 minutes, but we can think of it as 25 degrees of Cancer, which is about four degrees away from being exactly opposite Pluto. Now, normally, four degrees might be a little wide when we're looking at a lunation, but what this really means is that the moon moving through Cancer is going to eight hours, approximately eight hours, that's one degree of moon's motion every two hours, the moon is going to oppose Pluto later in the day on July 17th, the day of that new moon, and it will then change signs and it will square the nodal axis. So there's kind of an exacerbation that this new moon is coming into the square to the nodes, and then the sun, just a few days later, as we talked about earlier, the sun will be squaring um, the nodes on July 21st. And in some ways, all of that is tied up in that new moon in, in, in Cancer. This is, I think, a, a more complicated lunation new moon. And I should also note that Venus is quincunxing Neptune and that Mars is actually coming. Oh, oh Venus is also quincunxing Pluto. And, and here I should just mention in passing that whenever I look at a month, I always take a quick look at what are the most predominant aspects for the month. In other words, not what planets are making the aspects and not even not trying to interpret any particular aspect itself, but simply looking at when I look at the month in its entirety, are there more squares or are there more oppositions? What's going on for the entire month based upon just the overall sense of, um, of, of the planets themselves? And when I look at this month, I was immediately, I wouldn't say overwhelmed, but certainly amazed at how many quincunxes there were through the month because we have a Mars quincunxing, both actually Saturn, Neptune, and Pluto are being quincunxed by Mars, Mercury, and Venus throughout the month. And so we have on uh, July 6th, Mars quincunxing Neptune. On July 9th, we have Mars quincunxing Pluto. On July 14th, we have Mercury quincunxing Saturn. And then, that Merc then, then we have on July 15th, Venus quincunxing Neptune. Then on the 26th, we have Mercury quincunxing Neptune. And then on the 27th, we have Mercury quincunxing Pluto. And then on the 28th, we have the Sun quincunxing Saturn. And then on the 30th, we have Venus quincunxing Neptune. It's crazy. And what are quincunxes? They're annoying. They're adjustments. They're, they're, they're basically trying to get something right that wasn't right. You know, it's think of the Virgo trying to fine tune reality to understand what's important and what's the most useful. And especially with Mars moving into Virgo, I think that this also becomes a key component of the month. Rick, do you want to take this question from Jeremy? 
He's wondering if there's any significance to the nodes on the Cardinal Cross. Yeah, that, that was it. Okay, so remember that our entire system of astrology has nothing to do with the constellations. You know, I mean, we think of the constellation of Aries or Taurus, Gemini, Canada, whatever. But our astrology is based upon a cycle that is set anew every year at the moment of the uh, ascending equinox, the in the north, the vernal spring equinox. And so in Uranian astrology, which is a branch of astrology that came out of uh, uh, early 20th century Germany, cosmobiology and Uranian astrology, just like we map the location of the sun or the moon or Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Chiron, Eris, the midheaven, the ascendant, the nodal axis. In Uranian astrology, the zero degrees Aries is considered to be a point in anyone and everyone's chart. It's the Aries point. And the Aries point is significant because it's like it's like the alpha and the omega. It's the, it's the zero point. It's the beginning of the cycle and the ending of the cycle. And from that standpoint, yes, the nodes going over that cardinal point are significant. However, that's not what's happening this month because the nodes are going basically from zero degrees of, they're going from, how do I say this? Let me get this right. They're, they're going from zero degrees of fixed to 29 degrees of cardinal. And it's not, it's the zero degree cardinal point is the actual point itself. So in other words, the nodes are not on the, it's when the nodes in about a year and a half, in about 18 months, when they hit zero degrees of Libra and zero degrees of Aries backing into 29 degrees of Pisces and Virgo, that will be the cardinal points. They're in cardinal signs, but it's not the cardinal points. So yes, it's significant, but I would also, I would not use the nodal points to represent points on a, uh, on a cardinal, on any sort of T-cross or not T-cross, grand cross, because the nodes always have that opposition. I mean, yes, this is a very profound series of oppositions of various planets, including um, Mercury and the sun and the moon in their own time to Pluto, while those oppositions are squaring the nodal axis. And as much as I would use a squared in the nodal axis, personally, I wouldn't call this a grand um, square. Other astrologers may differ. I wouldn't try to talk them out of their reality. All right. So we have a month of review, regroup, rest, recover, reconsider, recognize what we value. So there's there's going to be a lot of space for that. Yes. Yes. We have this nodal shift from tangible and deep to the relationship between self and other. Yes. And, and that's have- being and that's being rattled by Pluto and the inner planets changing from Cancer to Leo. Yes. And then we have this 
overarching kind of like revamping of fundamental ideas, this global tidal shift that we're all a part of, that Pluto in Capricorn, Pluto back in Capricorn and retrograde is bringing, is bringing all these different things back up for us. And we have a predominance of annoying kind of adjusting energy. That is true. And the overarching theme is basically summertime blues. Are well, you are yeah. standing on that? Yeah, I would. I would say that that's that's all. Uh, that's all fair. And and someone asked about the septiles, and there's always septiles cooking. But I mean, there's there's a predominance of septiles right at the beginning of the month, and for a lot of the month, the Venus and Mars are triceptile to Pluto with Jupiter in the mix. I mean, I don't know that it's extraordinary from that standpoint, but there certainly are, as we move through the month, periods of strong septile or otherworldly energy. I think that as we get to right around the Pluto square, the nodes at that same time, you know, around July 20, 24, in that period of time, we also have Jupiter making an exact um, biceptile to Pluto and Venus making a biceptile to Jupiter and the moon coming through that. So yeah, there are septiles, you know, there always are though. And I tend, unless asked, not to talk about them unless they're like overpowering and uh, because they confuse people. And that's not my role here. That's my role in other places. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you want personalized guidance and input on your chart, and how you will be working with these different energies, the Venus retrograde, the Pluto square, the nodes, all the different things that we talked about, you can hop on over to Astrologer Connect, see who is available right now to take your call or your chat or your audio. You can do video, audio, or chat and ask your question and see if you can get some insights and some direction. Um, if you have a birthday coming up and you want some birthday insights for your year ahead, it's a great place to go. You really may want to check it out on Saturday because we may be having a cameo appearance from Mr. Rick Levine himself, which is amazing. Uh, so maybe, you might maybe. Know. no promises, but maybe yes. probably if if so, probably later in the day. Later in the day, Pacific time on Saturday, Rick Levine might make a cameo and you might be able to get him to look at your chart, which would be amazing. Um, the other thing is we are going to be running a special for Astrology Foundations next week. So if you are not on our Cosmic Insider mailing list, now would be a great time to get on. You can go to astrologyhub.com slash insider, and then you will find out about the special that we're, we're running on Astrology Foundation. So if you, ha if you haven't already taken that, um, there's some little, little special incentives to sweeten the pot for you. So go to astrologyhub.com slash insider and make sure you're on that list, and we'll make sure that you know what they are. All right. Anything else you want to say in closing, Rick, to just send us off into July? Two things, w three things. One is I'd like to acknowledge Daryl, who I agree with. He says there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Uh, good one. Um, num number two, um, I would just like to say that I saw some people chatting about um, the Omega um, Institute uh, weekend. Um, that uh, will be Ann Ordley, Lynn Bell, 
Maurice Fernandez, Rachel Lang, and myself. It's like a privilege to be hanging out with four such awesome, you know, astrologers. Um, and that's just north of New York City. And there are still some openings. I think it's going to fill up, but we, but but there are still some openings. And I, someone was asking about carpooling from where. I don't know. You didn't say that, but um, but um, yeah, that, that I'm looking forward to that. And also um, my uh, 10-day retreat in Goa, India, which is December 6th through the 16th, is also filling up. Well, it's a little bit more than half full right now. Um, so there are about maybe about 10 or 15 slots still open that will fill up. And you can find out all about that at day-by-day -day curriculum by going to Heaven and Earth Workshops. That's all one word, heavenandearthworkshops.com. And that's going to be my highlight of the year. And I think the highlight of the year for pretty much anyone who's coming. I hear yeah. that Amanda might be joining us. <laughs> I might make a cameo at your retreat. and You'll make a cameo on Astrology Connect. I like it. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll commit to a, um, to making a cameo, um, on yours. If you commit to, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. Discerning light is asking, what are the hours you can do this? It is 9 a.m. Eastern to 9 p.m. Eastern. We have astrologers stat. You could totally get lucky at another time and there might be an astrologer there, but we made sure that there are astrologers there from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern this week so that your odds of getting an astrologer live is very, very, very high. We have Clarissa Dolphin and Taylor Schuler on there right now. Gemini Brett was on there just a little bit earlier. And like I said, Rick might be there on Saturday, which is really cool. Um, oh, Pretty and Pink's wondering when's your next cafe event? Uh, uh, because I'll be at Omega, there is none on uh, this. There, there will be no first Friday of July event, but in August, I'll be back there. I'll be there in August, September, October, and November. And in December, we'll do a live from India. Wow. That's epic, Rick. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that you feel prepared and that you have some insights and clarity on the month ahead. And Wait one second, because someone discerning light said 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific. And no, that's wrong. It's 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. Isn't that what you said? No, no, no. 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern. Oh, so it is 6 to 6. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I might not be on until after that. Oh, that's fine. That's fine, actually. I, I kind of like that. You, you'll, yeah. you'll send our little... Saturday, Saturday uh, night with Rick. Yes, yeah, Saturday night with Rick. Oh, my God. Who? That. <laughs> Make sure you go on over to astrologyhub.com slash connect. Scroll and look for Rick. If you can't get Rick, there's other amazing astrologers too. But um, God, some lucky yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, the staff that you got, the people who are doing this. Um, I I know almost all of them in their work, and it's what a lineup. Yes, we we wanted to make sure that you all have access, easy access to high quality astrology readings, so that you know you know the astrologers are good, that you can trust the the guidance, the input. Um, so that was a huge focal point for us. Yeah, still is. All right. Thank you, everybody. It's been so great to spend this time here with you. Hope you have an amazing month. We'll see you. The Cosmic Connection on July 6th. We're going to be exploring some themes around astrolo what astrology has is telling us about the future of AI.
which I think is going to be really fascinating. And so. maybe even the future of I. Ah, I like that. Yes. And I don't mean I as an ego I. I mean the future of intelligence. Yes. I like that. Yeah. That's really cool. All right. Take care, everybody, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you Thanks for all. Here. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Rick. This podcast is presented by Astrology Hub. You can learn more and find all of our shows at astrologyhub.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and help more people find the wisdom of astrology. Thank you for taking the time to do this now. Thank you for being a part of our community and for making astrology a part of your life.